0: You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthopechurch. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab it. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'd love to open up the scriptures for us. And we're going to continue in our series called God in the, in the Flesh, A Savior is Born. And we're going to look particularly at Luke's gospel account that we've done over the last few weeks. We're going to conclude that today. And we want to look here at this story. Now, it is our practice, if you are a guest, that we walk through books of the Bible together because we want to see what God has to say. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, you should be able to grab one in front of you and turn to page 100, or 900 and nine. As we start this morning, uh, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you just through the Christmas hustle and bustle, you you know, you can take a breath. You're kind of tired from this past week. Tired from this past week. Now, husbands, we know that we're probably not as tired other than putting toys together because our wives probably got all the presents uh, and, you know, we signed our names to those cards. But really, it was what, you know, what did your mother get you Uh, What did I pay for this year, right? We really didn't do a whole lot of shopping. Most of us probably didn't. But either way, there's a lot of hustle and bustle about the Christmas season. We prepare lots of things coming to today, yesterday, that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. In many ways, our work, it culminated in our Christmas celebrations, whether you gather with family on this past Monday through Friday, or you gathered yesterday, whether you Bought gifts or wrapped presents or put toys together. You made lots of food. Have you traveled and spent time with your family? But what's the point of all this? What's the point of all that? We celebrate the birth of Jesus because we understand that God came in the flesh to save us from our sins. That Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, came... And was born as a baby. But we can't stop there. Our story doesn't end there. It's only the start to what Jesus would do. We must look forward to the life that He will live and the work that He will do. The story this morning that we're going to to read and we're going to walk through, that I'm going to preach this morning, will help us focus on why Jesus came in the first place. And so what we're going to see in our text this morning is this. God is praised for keeping His promises by Simeon and Anna as they see salvation in Jesus. Now, if you are a disciple today, as a church we talk about making mature disciples, how we walk faithfully with Christ and with each other and how we grow into maturity. We don't want to just stay the same. We want to walk in maturity together. What should we do? What should we know jesus brings joy as the fulfillment of god's promises for salvation to israel and the world and we can have joy in him but we have to understand that this this text is pointing us to jesus as the salvation for not only israel but also the world and this morning as we walk through this together what i want to do is i want to walk through the story make a couple of comments let us grasp they understand the story and then I want to show you three elements of joy in the story as we consider God's work in Christ Jesus so let's pick up there in verse 21 I'm going to read along read uh, follow with me and I'm going to make a couple points so look there verse 21 when eight days were completed for his circumcision he was named Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived this is important this this section is talking about the naming of Jesus matters. Why? Because his name, Jesus, is talking about God's salvation for his people. And his name matters. Luke continues And when the day of their purification, according to the law of Moses, was finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now, Luke stresses the importance of the law, he stresses the importance of Mary and Joseph following the law to a T that they are obedient, they are righteous to the law. And then Luke explains what's going on. He says in verse 23, just as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. In verse 24, and offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so Luke seems to be combining both Jesus' purification as a baby and Mary's purification as a mother who had just given birth. And he puts them together in narrative form, showing us as a family that they followed the law of God. That they were observing the Mosaic law. It's also important to see that Jesus, as the firstborn son to Mary, He was consecrated to God, but Luke does not record for us that Jesus was redeemed. It was the practice of the firstborn. You bring Him to the tabernacle to the temple and you would, you would pay, you would redeem your firstborn son because this is what God had given to you. But Jesus is not redeemed in this way. Jesus is already holy. He does not need to be redeemed. And so it foreshadows what Jesus is able to do. He's been set apart for service to actually show Israel who He is. Luke continues in verse 25. It says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous. This theme keeps coming up for us this morning. Those in the story are righteous. Those who are following after God. And he says, and devout. Looking forward to Israel's consolation. We just sang about this this morning. That Jesus is Israel's consolation. That means they are the comfort for Israel. Simeon was a faithful servant of God. And he is waiting for the Messiah so that he can welcome him. But notice the detail that Luke adds to the story. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. So we're not just introduced to a righteous man, we're introduced to the Spirit working in Simeon. And the Spirit is guiding and directing him to the temple for an encounter with Jesus. Simeon has received divine direction from God. And so, when the parents followed along there and halfway through 27, when the parents brought in the child to perform what he uh, was customary under the law, verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms. Alright, hold on. Let's take a time out there because that's kind of weird, right? That, so, if you were a mother, your son is eight days old, and some another man comes and grabs your... your first, firstborn son i don't think we would probably be acting the way mary acted we were like, hold up time out what are you doing that would be kind of strange to us wouldn't it and so although we can read the story and we understand luke tells there's a the holy spirit's working in in simeon this is strange why is it strange because israel had not heard from god in this way for a long time and so if it were me, I would be calling you know, Daniel or Andrew, hey, go get this man, give me my son back. I wouldn't want this man holding my child up. But Simeon, he does this under the direction of the Lord. What does he do? Look there, he praises God and said, this is a hymn, this is a, a song. He's overjoyed. He cannot contain the joy of seeing Jesus as a child. Look there, verse 29. Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Now look at how this proclamation, look how it strikes Joseph and Mary. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him, that is Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, indeed this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul. The thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And Luke continues, and as this is happening, there was a prophetess in verse 36. She's the second witness to the story. Remember, Luke is writing to Theophilus. He's writing to him so that Theophilus would agree, would actually understand the story of the Gospel. And so Luke places... Anna here in the story to confirm exactly this is what happened. It confirms that this is a true account that Jesus was offered in the temple this way. Her name was Anna, a daughter of Phanuel and of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. The focus is on her, her age, that she is well along in age. She was at least 90-some years old, probably pushing 100 years old. Seven years into her marriage, and then she lives 84 years after that. She was probably between 12 and 16 when she was married. So she's pushing 100 years old. Now Luke says she did not leave the temple serving God night and day with fasting and prayer. Not that she lived in the temple. It's not that she never left. It's that she spent her time in the temple, worshiping and serving God. It shows, Luke shows us her devotion. At that very time, in that very moment, she came up again to thank God and to speak about Him to all who were looking forward to, to the redemption of Israel. Anna praises God publicly and shares about what God has done to others and those who are in the temple at this time. The point of the story is to see that the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus as the Savior of Israel and the world. This is where Luke is driving us to in these two chapters. But Simeon and Anna play a particular role in the story to help us see the kind of joy that Jesus brings. We see the expectation of Simeon met. We see... His and Anna's explanation of why they praise God for what He's done. And then finally, we're going to see Anna's invitation into this salvation through Jesus. So, let's think of these three elements of joy together. The first element, the expectation of Simeon. The question is, why was Simeon waiting in the first place? There are a couple of factors that we see in the story that help us understand. First, Simeon was guided, as I told you, by the Holy Spirit. He was guided to the temple. And at some point, the Lord has promised Simeon that he would not die before he saw the Messiah. So the Holy Spirit has given Simeon direction about who the Messiah is and when He's coming. Secondly, though, Simeon was also waiting for the Messiah just like Israel was. The Old Testament is, a, is the story of God working out salvation for His people. And when Jesus comes in the New Testament, it's the culmination of what God has done through the Old Testament. We see as early as Genesis chapter 3 that God promises to crush the head of the serpent, to deal with our enemy. It's a promise that you can trace throughout the whole Old Testament. From Adam and Eve, to their children, to Noah, and then we get to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And Abraham, what does God tell him? He's going to make him into a great nation. One that will bless the world. One that his people will be a light to the nations. And then as Israel is is formed, they come out of Egypt, they get to the promised land, they have a king. We get to King David. And what King David is told is that his throne will last forever. God promises him that his throne... Will be the throne that will endure all time in all places. And then, as the prophets come and continue to speak against Israel and against the sin of the world, we get to Jeremiah 31. Where it's not only that God's going to send a Messiah, it's that God is going to, to do something so great and so powerful that He's going to actually write the teaching of His law on our hearts. He's going to give us Himself. He's going to give us His Spirit. In the context of Jeremiah 31-33, through we see that even Israel and David's throne are encompassed there. The Old Testament is pointing. Simeon is waiting for this Messiah to come. And he's been waiting for years to see God show Himself powerful and mighty to save. And God has been working out His promises for thousands of years at this point. And Israel has seen the faithfulness of God. We saw this in our sermon series in Judges this past summer. We see that even though we are broken, even though we are sinful, even though we reject sometimes what God is doing, God is still faithful to work and to save us. Simeon awaits for the promise. Empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. As I told you, Israel has waited a long time. A long time since they've heard from God. About 400 years Since a prophet has spoken from the Lord. What decision is in front of you right now? What decision is in front of you where you don't feel like you've heard from the Lord? Do we wait on the Lord this way? Do we move in our own direction, our own strength, without processing God's Word, talking to people, our church and community? Or do we... Just go in our own strength. Simeon waited for years. years do we wait in the same way? I have to be honest with you over the past couple of weeks I think the Lord has shown me that've I've tried in some instances to work in my own power and my own strength. and in a particular instance the Lord was as we pray there we had people praying and the Lord showed himself to say, just hold up and watch what I can do. Just watch what I can do. And oftentimes we miss what God can do because we're trying to go in our own strength and our own power. Simeon shows us that God is faithful. And if we trust Him and we wait on Him, it doesn't mean it's the, the timing that we want. It doesn't mean it's exactly what we asked for. It means that our God is faithful. though. And Paul, he says a similar thing focusing on Christ in Galatians. He says this, but when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God works out His plan. And He works for His people. And He works in His timing. We've seen Simeon, he's waited. Waited for the Messiah to come. And for those who expect to see God's salvation, they will see it. They will not be disappointed and they can find joy in jesus so let's now look at the second element of joy we've seen expectation that that simeon has expected this joy now let's see him explain this joy the explanation of simeon and anna now simeon praises god for what he's done and in his praise he actually explains why he has joy why it matters so let's break down simeon's praise thought for thought look there verse 29 he says, now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. Simeon is du- directly speaking to God. He's not praising Jesus. He's not speaking to Joseph and Mary. He's praising God. This is probably a hymn, a song, that he addresses God in. And Simeon is so overjoyed that he's seeing salvation, that he's seeing this baby Jesus, that he says he's ready to die. This is what he means when he says, you can dismiss your servant. Simeon has no other reason to wait. He has no other reason to be here. He wants to be with God. Now, we don't wait for Jesus' first coming. We know that He has come for us. But we wait for His second coming. We've already experienced the salvation that Simeon is praising God for. And in many ways, we've seen more than Simeon has in our waiting, do we desire to see God's plan for salvation fulfilled? Do we want to see people saved? Is that driving us? The question that I was asked one time was, if God answered all your prayers today, how many people would be saved because of your prayer? Do we long for this, for Jesus to save in the same way that Simeon did? Do we desire God's kingdom here on earth? Do we want God to work in and through us? Or we are we okay just living our normal lives? It's really easy for us to come every week and go through the motions and actually never once think about God bringing His kingdom here on earth. How does He do that? He does that through His Spirit and through empowering us. Do we desire this salvation more than this world? As a kid, you, I don't know about you, but I got saved when I was uh, young and as I thought about Jesus coming back, you know, there was all these milestones. I'm like, Jesus, don't come back yet. Don't come back yet. I need to get to this milestone, graduate high school or go to college or get married or have kids. Simeon doesn't think that way. Simeon is ready. He's waited. He's ready for this salvation. I want to encourage you that we should also be ready and willing to see God's salvation Here. Whenever God decides to do that. Simeon continues in verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. God has fulfilled His promise to Simeon. And more importantly, fulfilled His promise to Israel. Right? Look how Simeon describes this child. My eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon does not praise the child, although he could. He praises God for working in and through the child. Salvation is in Jesus, meaning salvation we brought through this child. Jesus is the proof, He is the reality that God is working out His promises. Jesus is all the proof that Simeon needs and it's all the proof that we need. God is going to save His people. God is going to provide for us. God is going to redeem us. He's going to pay for our sin. He's going to defeat our enemies who are sin and Satan. God's going to do this. And Simeon praises Jesus as the salvation that God has sent into the world. And Simeon says, it is this salvation I have seen with my own eyes. Simeon needs no outward sign. He doesn't need other things. He says, my eyes have seen in this child. This is how God's going to save the world. Just as he told him. Simeon trusts God in this way. Look at verse 31. You prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Simeon describes who this salvation is for. The Messiah was a covenant promise between God and Israel. Right? They were God's chosen people to whom the Messiah was to come through and to come to. It was common in the first century for Jews to believe that they were the only people going to receive the Messiah meaning they were the only ones that were going to receive salvation. But Luke explains here, and he makes his point pretty emphatic, that this salvation has been prepared in the presence of all peoples, Jews and Gentiles, maybe referring to the temple, meaning that both Jews and Gentiles will not only see the salvation of the Messiah, but they will both experience, be able to experience this salvation. The gospel is for all people. Jesus is for all people people. And we must welcome anyone who will bow their knee in submission and give that to Jesus. We welcome them into our church family and we share it with anyone who will believe. Anyone who will pay attention. Anyone who will hear the message of salvation. We share that with them because this message is not just for one people it's for all people all around the world. And Luke, he goes deeper for us. He shows us how to understand the extent of God's salvation. He explains that this salvation is a light. Remember, John describes Jesus as a light in his Gospel account. It's a light to the Gentiles and glory to the Jews. Luke explains, uh, he actually quotes Isaiah 49.6, which says this. He says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, rising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations. He's talking to Israel to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. The gentiles will see the light, which is good news for you and me, right? Cuz I'm not a Jew and I don't think many of you in the room are Jews. So we are part of this salvation. We get to have joy because God doesn't just include the Jews, he includes all of us who will submit our lives to his son. And the Jews that will share in the glory of God, meaning they will actually be able to partake with God and showing the world who he is and what he's done in Jesus. The story of Christmas is a worldwide story of salvation to anyone who will hear and believe. Did you know right now, the IMB, the International Mission Board, they estimate around 4.8 billion people around our world do not know Jesus. I want to say that number again. 4.8 billion people. That's more than half the planet that do not know Jesus. If this child came from heaven, sent by God to save us, our God sends us to these people to share with them. This is why we give money to Lottie Moon. This is why we're praying that God will raise up people in our own church. He will raise up that we can send all across the world. Because we believe that this gospel is not just for us. It's not just for Youngsville Wake Forest. It's not just for North Carolina. It's not just for our country. It's for the whole world. And we want to see God raise people up to send them all across the world. But also, our state convention has given a number in 2018 of about 5.8 million people that are lost here in North Carolina. 5.8 million, which is over right, at, right at over half of our population in the state. So you don't have to go all across the world to see lost people. You can go right across the road Ashley and I, we moved into our, our new home in March, and they're building building—they're putting homes up left and right. They've built almost 100 homes in a year in the neighborhood. And just to encourage you, yes, there are lost people that we, we know, people who do not call on the name of Jesus, but we also know of seven different countries represented in our own neighborhood. The nations, which we need to go to, yes, but also understand that God is bringing the nations to us. There are all kinds of people coming to us that we get to share this story of Christmas, a story that is one for anyone who will believe. For those of us who have submitted our lives to Jesus, we must join him on this worldwide Christmas mission. We tell fables and stories about a figure, Santa Claus, who goes all around the world giving gifts. We have a much greater gift than he could ever than Santa Claus could ever give, right? We have A Lord who is asking us to submit our lives to Him and be redeemed. May we go to the world, around the world, for this Christmas story. Now look at what Simeon says in verse 34. He blessed them and told his mother, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the the fall and rise of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, and the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed." After praising God directly, He now speaks to Mary. Now we aren't sure why just Mary. Maybe it's because we know that she's at the foot of the cross when Jesus is crucified. We don't know why Luke and Simeon address her this way. But He tells her that her baby boy, the Messiah, will receive opposition. This will not be a simple, easy task. Simeon explains that Jesus is destined to cause the rise and fall of many in Israel, meaning that he's going to sh- to cause a strong reaction. That when Jesus comes and he shares who he is, he shares about the forgiveness of sins, he shares about the kingdom of God, Luke is communicating that there are going to be people who reject him. There, are, There is no middle ground. It isn't just, You can't just be okay with Jesus. You either bend your knee in submission to him as Lord, or you reject him. And currently, with in our time and place, it seems to be easy to just say, yeah, Jesus is fine. You can be be okay with Jesus. But what that really means is, not that they've submitted their lives to Him, not that we've submitted our lives to Him, but that we're just okay with it. Yeah, Jesus is a great teacher, but He's not God. Yeah, Jesus is a great example for us, but He's not Lord. This isn't fair to the Bible story at all. When we come to the Bible which we believe is God's Word. When you come to the Bible, at the very least, whether you agree with it as God's Word or not, this Bible presents Jesus as God. Luke, in his whole narrative, Jesus is God. And it's not fair to come to this book and say, well, Jesus is just a good example for us. No, we have to deal with the claims. Either Jesus, He's a liar, C.S. Lewis said this, either He's a liar, a lunatic, or Lord, and it's only three options for us. And so we can't come to this. Simeon says we can't come to this as just say, okay, yeah, I'm cool with Jesus. No. We must respond to who he is. And and Simeon also seems to predict opposition that Jesus is going to face, particularly to the to Israel's religious elite, to the Pharisees and scribes. The opposition seems to be in response to how Jesus lives and what he preaches. what What did Jesus preach? Jesus preached that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus preached that He is God. How did He do that? Well, He would welcome sinners into His life. He would go to eat with Zacchaeus. He would have He would care for the adulterous woman. There are multiple stories and many more that I'm sure we don't even have record of that Jesus welcomed sinners into His life. But what did Jesus do? He forgave them of their sins and He called them to walk in that forgiveness. Who's the only person that can forgive sins? God is. And so when Jesus he when he when is in Israel and He's walking around preaching the Gospel and He's forgiving sins, what does that do? It causes the Pharisees and the scribes to be very angry with Him. And they oppose Him strongly. So much so that they plotted a plan to kill Him, to crucify Him. Jesus' first coming of, of God in the flesh was to bring the Kingdom of God here, To proclaim salvation and to welcome anyone who would believe in this Christmas story. He would give them life and wholeness. But he would do that as a suffering servant. Not as a king. But he would sacrifice his life for us. So Simeon, he he explains why he's excited because, yes, Jesus is going to cause opposition. But this is God's salvation. And this is what Simeon has waited on. But now let's look here and see how Anna responds and what she says about Jesus. It brings us to the third element of joy, the invitation of Anna. Now at some point during Simeon's praise, there's another person who we see, it's Anna, right? And she sees Jesus. And look, he's described her as a prophetess, which means she's a mouthpiece for the Lord. And she's been worshiping God a long time. She's waited. In some ways, she represents a spiritual hunger. She's waited for God to work. And she sees what's happening. What does she do? Look at verse 38. At that very moment, she came up and began to thank God to speak about Him to all who are looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. What is Anna's first response? It's Thanksgiving. She thanks God. I want us to pause for just a moment to see how she responds. She's lost her husband. She was only married for seven years. She did not remarry. She was a widow, which was very difficult in her time and place for 84 years. In the midst of her life, whatever brokenness she experienced, the first time she sees the Messiah, she thanks God. The joy of the Messiah overwhelms her to the point that all she can do, no matter the brokenness that she's experienced, no matter the loneliness that she's experienced, she thanks God. As Nate said this morning, maybe this week has been hard for you. Maybe this is the first Christmas that you don't have a family member. Maybe there's strife in your family. In the midst of these hard times, we can thank God. Why? Because He has provided salvation. We have to remember that He is working for us. He's brought us together as a church family. And what, what Anna does, and what really what God does through her, is he, he brings us to a place where we can be thankful no matter the circumstance. And we can be thankful no matter the hardship that we face, because there's a God who has provided salvation to us. Now look at Anna's second response, though. What is it? It's to share. She shares about what God has done. Thankfulness leads to sharing. Anna begins to share about Jesus and that He was the redemption of Jerusalem into the world. The joy of seeing the Messiah leads to sharing about His salvation, sharing to others, and inviting them into what Jesus offers. Thankfulness leads us to Gospel sharing. Thankfulness leads us to gospel sharing. If you find yourself this Christmas season frustrated or burdened or broken about how maybe a lack of sharing the gospel, maybe you're afraid, here's what I want you to know. Don't try to do better. Don't just try to share the gospel. Don't just try to share something. That's not going to work. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith is that we come and respond to what God has already done. We never act first. God acted first in Christ. And so we don't just need to think, "Just I'll do better this year in 2022. No. Simply start by thanking God. Remembering what He's done for you. Remembering what He's done in Christ. And watch God use your thankfulness to engage other people. We we don't worship a God who tells us do this, do this, do this, do this. No, we worship a God who invites us into His story that we then out of thankfulness get to share that with other people. The motivation is not to be better, to do better. The motivation is that we have a God who came for us and we consider that God, we're thankful for what He's done. We're invited to share the news that what He's done for us. It is also in this Gospel. One that God sent His own Son into the world for you and me. It is this Gospel that Anna invites us into. Her story beckons us to consider where true joy comes from. Where salvation can only be found. I want you to know, if you do not know Jesus today, you have an opportunity to be invited into His family. Paul says that God, through Christ, redeemed us so that he could adopt us as children. If you do not know Jesus today, I'm asking you to consider to be invited into this family and what all you have to do today is acknowledge that you are a sinner to acknowledge that Jesus is God's Son and is through him that he has brought salvation to you. There's no special special prayer there's no formula. What what it means is you have to submit your life to this Jesus. The words may be simple, but the action is hard for us to actually submit our lives to Jesus. But if you've never done that today, I want you to consider doing that. I want you to think and process and pray about doing that. If you're a disciple today, maybe you followed Jesus for 40 years, maybe you followed him for four you are once again invited into this salvation, into this story, not to be saved again, but to deepen your relationship with Jesus so that the thankfulness of Anna, the explanation of who Jesus is and the expectation of what God is doing, you're invited into that once again that your faith may be kindled and fanned in the flame, as Paul says to Timothy. You're invited today into this story to grow and deepen your relationship with Him. In this story, Simeon and Anna, they praise God for keeping His promises of salvation and they see that in Jesus. And God, He's provided for His people by sending His Son into the world to be born as a baby. But that baby, as we've seen, as they've explained, this baby is not just going to live a casual life. This baby is going to live a perfect life And He's going to be crucified. He's going to give His life for us. And then He's going to be buried. But three days later, He was raised from the grave. To vindicate, to say that this God is true. That this Jesus is God in the flesh. This Jesus is a Savior born to us. And Jesus, He brings joy of this salvation to us. As God's fulfillment of salvation. This morning, I hope that you're encouraged by the joy found in salvation through Jesus. And I hope that you're challenged to respond in Him in joy and thankfulness. Would you pray with me? God, I ask today that you would, just as Simeon and Anna were so overjoyed, would you cause His joy to well up in us if we are believers? Would You cause us joy to to help us consider what You've done, to cause us to be thankful? Would we think about what You've done in Jesus? God, we are so amazed at what You've done. We need You. We need You to work in us to bring this kind of joy out in our lives. I pray that You will use Your Word today to strengthen and encourage and challenge us as a church family. I ask these things in Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Church, every week as the music team comes up, they're going to come up, we're going to sing, and we're going to respond in song. As I tell you almost every week, every time you hear God's Word proclaimed, we are to respond. We don't ever come to it and not respond. If you're a Christian today, sing loudly about what, God has done in Jesus if you're a Christian today talk about what God is doing in your life start with being thankful if you're not a believer today I'm going to be right here in the front even after we sing I'll be out there in the back if you want to talk to somebody about following Jesus today I want to talk to you I want you to respond today either way would you stand and sing with us about what God has done in Jesus